When you are slaves of sin, you are free in regard to righteousness. So what advantage did you then get from the things of which you now are ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we thank you for this morning. We pray now for our hearts and minds. May they be open to your spirit, that it may enter into us and transform us more into your image. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So if you know anything about me, you know this. You know I love to, I love to ski. Um, I will take any opportunity I can to get out of here and go to the mountains. Uh, and, and it's just one of those things. But to get to the mountains, you've got to drive a certain direction to get there. And generally from Texas, driving that way uh, takes you down 287 north. And who have, we've all been that way, right? We've all been that route. 287 north, right down that way. That drive might not mean much to you, and in fact, it's, it's a boring drive, and it, you go through these sleepy Texas towns. But there is one town that's easy for you not to notice, but has a, and has a peculiar name, but holds a lot of meaning to me and my family. That town is Quana. And I know some of you chuckle because I do talk about it a lot when we drive through there. And the reason why is because that place has a lot of meaning for me. It's where my great-grandparents, it's where my grandparents, my aunt, an uncle, a great-aunt, a great-uncle, and even a sister are buried. When we drive through Quana, for me, it is a walk amongst the tombstones. I see names and faces of lives that were lived and have been imprinted upon me. It's where I came from. And it's a reminder of where I am going someday. And I know that last part is a bit morbid because it's talking about death. And none of us like to talk about death. And if you were here last week, I ended the discussion with the phrase, live like it. Live like it. If our baptism means anything, if our baptism means what I believe Paul thinks it means, then we should live like it matters. I think that it's what Paul is making the move here in our text. He is calling on his Roman brothers and sisters to live like something new happened to them. And today in the word from Romans, what we read is a call for us to live. And that word live is an interesting word. And for many of us, it has a different kind of meaning to it. And so when I ask you, what does it mean to live? What is your meaning? I found a great idea from the late Frederick Beekner, who wrote this when describing life. He asked these questions. Have you wept at anything during the past year? Has your heart beat faster at the sight of beauty? Have you thought seriously about the fact that someday you're going to die? And more often, not, more often than not, do you really listen when people are speaking to you instead of just waiting for your turn to speak? Is there anybody you know in whose place, if one of you had to suffer great pain, you would volunteer yourself? If your answer to all or most of those questions is no, the chances are that you're dead. And here in our text for today, 
Paul speaks of death and life. For Paul, it seems there are two ways a person can live, either toward death or toward life. Which means we will either be enslaved to sin or enslaved to righteousness or God. And now, I know that word slave is so full of meaning and it's got a negative meaning in our history. And it even doesn't have a popular meaning in the first century. But I believe Paul is trying to make a point here as we read Romans 6, 19. When he says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, so now, you, now your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification. I think he says it here in the first part. He uses this word slave or slavery as a figure of speech to kind of wake them up to understand what he's trying to get to. He's almost trying to, to, to kind of catch them off guard a little bit by using that. He's trying to jolt them a little bit into how they're supposed to live because that's what it's all about here for Paul. What you and I are either living towards is life or death. And while that may sound trivial or trite, Paul is reminding us of something in this text. What we give ourselves to, where our heart belongs is what will control us. Bob Dylan had it right. We've all got to serve somebody. And as Paul has been laying, out, laying this out, the power of God's grace, working into and now through, the human, through humanity, through the power of Jesus, that we will either give our lives to this power or we'll give it to something else. And what Paul says is we have to give our lives to the grace of God. We have to enslave ourselves to the grace of God. Because for Paul, faithful obedience to living within this new kingdom of grace is the best life for believers. Paul sees if we are willing to give our lives, to enslave our lives to this kingdom of grace, that Paul sees this as the best way to live. That this is the best life now. It's the best life now for the Roman church, and it's the best life now for our church today. It is, for Paul, humanity living into and becoming the best versions of themselves. Paul believes that the kingdom of grace, that enslaving our lives to, to grace, is us finding our best life And so the question I have at this moment is this. What are you living for today? What are you living into today? What is your motivation for your life? Think about it for just a minute. What is your motivation for life? We are all doing that thing that we are doing for a reason. There's a reason you're doing what you're doing. There's a reason why you work. There's a reason why you get up every morning and do your life. So whatever that reason is, well, that reason is who you are and what you are. And that reason is what you're living for. And if you don't believe that those around you don't know it and see it, then you're lying to yourself. 
when people meet you and what you talk about? What's the, what's the driving conversation for you? What's the thing that keeps you up at night? I realized the other night I woke up at like 3 a.m. And have you ever had one of those nights you just wake up? You know, you wake up and then all of a sudden for some weird reason a thought pops in your head. And it just won't go away. And you, you literally find yourself at 3 a.m. stressing for no reason. I mean, Laurie's next to me. She's, she's not here. She was snoring. <laughs> in trouble for that one. Uh, but that's what she was doing. But I found myself wide awake at 3 a.m. The simple thought was this. My daughter is turning 17 tomorrow. My daughter's turning 17 tomorrow, which means that in a year and a half, she's going to go to college. First off, I'm much too young to have a kid in college. But secondly, all those thoughts, what are we going to do? How are we going to pay for it? Am I ever going to see her again? All of these things start just keeping me up at night. And we all have those things that keep us up at night. We all have those kind of stress points, the reasons why we're doing what we're doing. And the world has a good way of telling us what the reason should be in our life. It will tell us if you want a certain kind of purpose, if you want status, if you want wealth, or if you want power, then you make these things the priority. The world is good at telling you and me to be obedient to those things. And if you're be obedient to those things, it will reward you with those things. You will find your identity and how you relate to those things. It's like we have a hole in our heart that we are trying to fill. And I know we've heard this. We think if we can just get this or do that or be that person, then everything else will be okay. Yet we find ourselves never being satisfied enough. It's never good enough. It's never enough money in the account. Right? Well, I have to work one more year, and then I can retire. Those things are there. In short, we become what Paul warns us of becoming if we don't understand that our baptism has done something to us, that it's actually freed us from something, that we are people who became a slave to sin in verse 20, that our lives became obedient to the world around us and its making. And when we become obedient to something, then what happens is that which we are obedient to shapes us and makes us into its image. We take on the image of that thing that we are obedient to. So just like in the first chapter of Romans, when Paul speaks to our predicament, when Paul speaks to the predicament of humanity and says this in verse 22 and 23, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling a mortal human being or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. Paul here in the very first chapter says, we became the very image of that thing in which we wanted to become obedient to. We became the image of that thing in which we listened to, and it became the most important thing. And Paul says in Romans 1, that's when we became slaves to sin. That's when we took on the image of it. And so our lives take on the shape and form of that which we love, that thing which holds on to our heart. And Paul names what those things are that lead us toward. Paul says very plainly, if we follow those things, then the outcome is, and Paul says, death. Your journey is towards death. 
When sin came into the world in Genesis 3, what also came into the world was death. Death became the big player. Death became the one thing that could defeat us no matter the scenario. Death was all of our finalities. Death was the thing we most feared because of what it meant for all of us. And that fear led us to do the things that we have done throughout history. We've all been trying to cheat death in some way, shape, or form. Fear pushes us to hold tightly. It, pushes us to, it causes us to push away. It causes us to individualize ourselves to the point where there are only a few that we allow in, into our lives and into our communities and into our hearts. Fear is what keeps us up at night. Fear is not being enough. Fear of not having enough. Fear of not being good enough. Fear of not doing all the right things. Fear of being a nobody in the world. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? We've all gone through this at some point in our life. And I know, it, I know it does because every so often in my own life, this creeps back in. I'm not good enough at this. I haven't done enough here. I haven't done this right. I haven't made this person happy. It's a story I tell myself over and over again. It's a story that says I'm nowhere near good enough. And, and as Paul says, it's the story of fear, and it's the story which pushes us, pushes us closer to death. It's the story of death what leads us away from freedom. It's almost as if Paul is telling us that this was never our story, that we were never created to live into a story that says, you're not good enough, you don't have enough, or that is your identity, how much you have and what stuff you have and the power. It's almost as if Paul is saying that's not your story. God didn't create us for our end story to be death. On the contrary, our star story was to be one of life, but also life eternal, as he says in, six, uh, as he says in 621, and then later in John 10.10. 10. But now, Paul says in Romans 6, 21, that everything has changed in Jesus. You are no longer enslaved to the power of sin with the outcome of death. Our lives would be sanctified into the story of grace. Get this, our lives would be forever sanctified into the story of grace. So what does that mean, sanctified? That means the constant work of the Spirit on your life, pulling you more and more into the life of God. And by the way, it's not what you're, it's not you're doing. It's the grace of God that sanctifies you. It's the grace of God that works on your heart. It's the grace of God that works on your mind and body and soul. What Paul says is, is when you're pulled into the story of Jesus, you begin the process of sanctification. You're pulled and set apart to be something different. Therefore, if we think about it that way, then our lives should be different. Different. Our lives should be moving us towards a goal of life everlasting. We should look like a different people. And did you notice the kind of thing that Paul says here? Paul says there's a difference between this whole life. One has a wage of sin, which is death, which is in verse 22, there's a, or verse 23. There's a kind of harshness to a life under control of sin. I mean, we think about wages. We think about that thing that we're owed. It's, it's got this kind of biting, negative connotation to life, as if our whole goal is to toil and then we die, right? We live, we drink, we eat, we die. That's our whole life. The toil of life and then we die. A whole lot of Ecclesiastes writing is this sentiment, is it not? It's the idea, if you're a slave to sin, your wages will be death. And it goes against everything that Jesus is about. It goes against everything that Jesus talked about. It's as if Paul is saying, you remember that thing Jesus said way back in the day? The thief, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life. And what does Jesus finish it? And they may have it 
abundantly. A life of freedom from the one who steals and kills and destroys. The best life for humanity is a life free from the markers and race that society attempts us to play. And so here comes the alternative. Here comes the major difference. The gift of God is the gift of eternal life. Did you catch that? The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Gift is what Paul says this life is. Gift is what God wants to give us. Not toil and work and beating yourself up. But instead, Jesus says, find your, Paul says, find your life in the gift of God. Therefore, God has called us out of the toil of life that is only directed towards the wage of death and called us into a life which is the free gift of eternal life. Life then becomes something different with these two metaphors at play of gift and wages. We are working towards something, hoping that it will not be taken. We are not working towards something, hoping that it will be taken away. When you think about wages, right, it can be taken away. But here this gift, Paul says, this is a free gift. It will never be taken away from you. No, what Paul writes to the Romans is that the life lived by Christ is your best life. And no matter how well we live it, or how well we struggle with it, the life freed from sin leads toward that which could only be given to us by Christ, that there is nothing you can do to inherit this gift, that it is a gift, plain and simple. So therefore, our life, however well we try to live it in God, and however the many times that we struggle with it in God, Paul says, it is the gift of eternal life. God will not take away the gift. And as one writer writes, eternal life is the fruit of a life lived in righteous service. It grows in us as a better story. Did you catch that? It's a better story. So the story that the world tells us that you got to the only way to be good enough, the only way to have identity, the only way to have purpose is to I don't know, have more money, have more stuff, have more power, do all of these different things. The story which leads us toward death, what the writer says here is eternal life allows us to tell a better story. That the gift is living under God's reign rather than under the reign of sin and death. A life lived in obedience to God which for Jesus was real simple. Love God and love your neighbor. A story which says that you are good enough today to receive the gift of grace. The grace from shame. The grace from comparisons. The grace from hate. The grace from pride. The grace from running the race. It's a grace to life. So that when you walk amongst the tombstones... And think about life and death. And we think about which one are we living today. When we walk amongst the tombstones, we can think about which story is my life telling. Is my life telling the one of eternal life? A different story that says God's got this? Or is my life telling the one of death? Which story will you remember And what story will others remember? You're either going to live a story of life or death. And so my encouragement, again, live the story of life. 
And I guess Paul is trying to tell us, in essence, stop serving and start living. Stop serving sin. Stop serving that which has enslaved you. And start living into that which has freed you. If you have any needs this morning, come now as we stand and as we sing.